suppose I'll start with the main reason why I had you on was just kind of I came across your page, the mindset coach, and I was just so intrigued by everything it seems that you represent and that you promote and all that it is you do. So I was hoping kind of you could share with listeners general tips and tricks for mindset because it's just essentially it's something everyone needs to be on top of. Like we all need to be concerned with our mind and looking after it all the time as much as we do our bodies. So would you like to introduce yourself, say who you are, what it is you do and all that? Yeah, so uh, my name is Kira McCullough. Uh, I am a mental health and well-being coach. So across all my social media, I am the mindset coach. Um, and what I primarily, primarily do is work with people who want to level up their mindset. And what that actually means is to, I suppose, discover the things that keep them stuck, to unblock the, the patterns or the behaviours or the type of thoughts that... Uh, keep them stuck in a pattern of of you know not getting to where they want to go um, and really what I, I love to do is bring people from I suppose just existing and getting by and surviving life to to really really fucking driving I can curse in this podcast can I <laughs> yeah, <of course>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so to really thriving because we all deserve to thrive in life and I suppose we can only change what we understand Right. And that's something that I'm very passionate about is educating people so they can understand about their mind, their mental health, how to look after it, their emotional health, how to look after it and really set up like tools and systems in place for themselves so that they have a toolkit now going forward in life to go. I can deal with anything that comes my way. And now I can really start to rather than survive, I can get into this thriving mode way quicker. Totally. And there's so many like facets to the mind and everything Mm -hmm. that there is. It's like everything you've gone through, but also like the normal everyday things like knowing emotions and knowing kind of yourself and having that awareness like there's a lot of there's a lot of facets to it I suppose um so it can be very complicated for people to navigate and I definitely think we don't kind of definitely throughout developing we don't focus enough on it Mm. um I suppose of course like everyday life can take over so it's not as easy to spend all that time on it but I feel like once you do and once you kind of take the time to look after yourself like the benefits are just massive in terms of every other aspect of your life yeah 100 percent. like one of one of the things i work with and it sounds cheesy but what i hope to achieve with people uh, that i work with is that they become their own best friend and that means that they start understanding that when they put themselves first when they start to change how they view themselves and and what they believe about themselves everything else in, in their external world changes as well and i think that's the most powerful piece there's a quote that I love and it's we don't see the world as it is we see the world as we are so how we feel on about ourselves on the inside has a direct reflection of what shows up for us in our external world so the more that we give back to ourselves and put ourselves first the more that it has a ripple effect on what shows up for us in our external world as well definitely it's so true and I remember hearing before as well it was like the person you're going to spend the most time with in your life is yourself so why wouldn't you like love yourself and like that it does sound a bit cringe but it's so true when you think about it then as well and it puts a lot into perspective so I suppose just to begin with like what kind of set you on this journey of mindset and what is it that led you to this point of trying to help others and focusing on your mind and just kind of creating awareness around mental health but also just everyday mind and emotions and everything yeah um so it was my own journey really um I kind of I suppose my journey brought me to where I am today and what I had been through so um to give you the synopsisized version of it because <laughs> it is quite long um between the ages of 19 and 22 I had three separate attempts to end my life uh, because I had a mindset 
um, that I was broken and that my mind was broken because I had all these beliefs that I wasn't good enough. Um, you know, I was worthless. I had no value. And these, this was the type of narrative that just completely consumed me all of the time. And I would have experienced that for uh, the majority of my life. And in school, we're not taught about our emotions. We're not taught about our thoughts. And I always say if someone had told me at the age of like, I don't know, 13 or 14, that your thoughts are not facts and that you don't have to believe them, I think it would have changed my trajectory. Um, but I didn't get to hear it. And my trajectory was that I believed all my thoughts were a fact. So when I had the thought of not being good enough, I was seeing all this evidence to support it. And that belief became stronger and stronger over time. And at the age of 19, I literally was like, I can't do this. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to escape this. I don't know how to get rid of it. And I had the first attempt to end my life. And two weeks later, I had my second. And after that, I suppose the two attempts, I I knew I felt I needed to talk to someone, uh, but I genuinely, hand on heart, didn't think that talking would help. I genuinely didn't think talking would help. And the main reason for it was that I, I didn't make, I couldn't make sense of it myself. Right. So I didn't know why I was thinking that I completely thought I was broken and I didn't talk. So my mom um, did genuinely get me therapy um, at the age of 20, 19 to 20. Right. And I spoke, but I only give them superficial stuff. Uh, oh, I broke up with a boyfriend and I did this and I did that. And that's what's affected me. And to be fair, at the time, the therapist was like, Grant, it's just the normal stuff. They never asked beyond that. And I never got to speak about the grief that I was feeling. My dad had died by suicide when I was one. And I grew up never knowing about him or never, you know, hearing about him and all that kind of stuff. So for me, that was the process. I wasn't someone who was depressed. I was someone who was grieving, but I didn't know. Yeah. Right. So I never uh, got to deal with that. And it's something that followed me around. And then at the age of 22, uh, because I had never been asked those questions, I still hadn't dealt with the grief. I still hadn't dealt with any of that. And the thing to know about with kids is that when we try to make sense of our world at the time, if something traumatic is happening and we don't know the answers to it, the factual answers, we we try to attach meaning by blaming ourselves because that's how we find control. So for me, I was like, well, it must be my fault. Right. So that was must be my fault. And it must be my fault because I'm not good enough. And that was the narrative that followed me around. And at the age of 22, after a relationship breakup, I realized that this, whatever this was, um, was going to continue to impact my life in a negative way all of the time. I couldn't escape it. I couldn't um, run away from it, no matter what I was doing, no matter who I was with, no matter what I was experiencing, it was there. And it was this constant, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And at the age of 22, I was like, I have enough of not being enough and not feeling enough. And I genuinely can't do this anymore because I've, I've tried talking, right? And it didn't work. And um, yeah, I had the final attempt in my life and I'm here and I'm here to to talk about things and to reopen the conversation of, of looking after your mindset and your mental health uh, because I am living proof that when we start to put ourselves first and we start to take the small steps in the progression of of minding ourselves minding our mind minding our emotional health they lead to really big things and they are hard decisions because for me i woke up in a hospital bed at the age of 22 after the third attempt and was like 
oh, why am I here? Like, why, why am I here? Right. And in that same breath, and while I was like thinking that, I looked down and saw my mother and she was absolutely in bits. And she was in so much pain, but also what I, what I visibly saw in her as well, standing beside me was, was relief. It was relief that I was still here sitting beside her. And I think it was one of the first times where I, I suppose, witnessed the pain I could have caused again, right? So, cause my dad had already done this and here I was putting her through the exact same pain again. And I just kind of went, right, you've got two choices here. You can keep going the way that you're going, not talking, not opening up, not asking for help, not letting anybody in, trying to deal with this all on your own. Or you can figure out why you have survived three attempts to end your life and why you are here and why you why you're living and figure out what it means to be truly alive. And something really powerful happened in that. It was the very first time that I truly believed I had a choice. Right? Firstly, Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, no, Grant, no, go for it. Firstly, thanks so much for sharing that story. Like, that was incredible. And I'm so happy you're here today and able to tell us that and kind of out the other side. Like, it's just, it's amazing to hear a life that was saved. You know what I mean? Because you hear so much about suicide. And while I've never dealt with it personally, I just think it's a scary topic and it's a frightening thing to think that someone's mind can be in that place. Mm -hmm. So I'm so happy and I'm sure others will be to hear that you, you, you've seen the light at the end of the tunnel and you're here. So others can be as well, but it's very interesting what you say as well between the ages of 19 and 22. I think that's very interesting because I'm 24 at the minute and I would have said on episode one of this podcast as well, that episode one, season one, that, um, I found those ages very difficult as well, not to the same level, of course, but in that they're just such pivotal years and that you're going from a child to an adult and it can be very confusing. And I think there's a, there is a lot to contend with in your mind in terms of stress and pressure and finding yourself and all that. There's a, there's a lot going on. So um, in terms of like building yourself back up and kind of coming out the other side, I presume changing those thoughts and transforming them into things like self-confidence and self-belief was huge like I found that was the big thing for me in kind of finding my way and feeling content within myself so how would you say those are important or play a part in your life and kind of how did you go about I suppose finding those things yeah um well they're hugely important in my life every single day um and one of the things I suppose coming off or coming out of hospital that time the decision that I made was to actually to go all in, right? And to go, okay, I've survived three times. Why? <laughs> okay. And for me, then I decided to go all in. And that meant the next therapist that I saw, I would open up and say exactly how I felt. Okay. And I, from then on, right, the first therapist that I saw, I had six sessions with, and I was already starting to feel different, right? I already started to have a new handle on my thoughts and a new understanding of why I felt why I did. And that was, I would have struggled for 22 years. This was six hours, right? So it was the first time I realized because I went all in, because I opened up, because I spoke, talking does help. Okay. So that started me on the journey of realizing that when I say how I feel, it does help. Okay. And that was the first thing that I realized. Um, Going forward then, 
I became increasingly obsessed with the mind and how it worked and how I could use it to my advantage. So I was reading loads of books. I was taking loads of courses. And uh, I actually, before I became a coach, I was a wedding photographer, really happy uh, going by. And then the pandemic hit. And um, I've always wanted to do something. I've always been sharing my story. I've always been um, saying what got me through and what helped. I just wanted to take it to a new level. And because of COVID, I got gifted the gift of time and went back to train to become the mental health and well-being coach. And in that, I realized that there are so many different tools that we now have that we can have and that I want to share with the world that really can help us design the life that we want. Okay, because we live by default all the time. We live in default and we live in, I'm going to react to this. And we do that without even realizing and we, we kind of just survive in life and just get by. But we can actually design the life that we want and we can design feelings that we want. Right. So we can put ourselves back in control of our lives, no matter how we feel. So a couple of things help me and continue to help me. Um, gratitude plays a huge part in my life. So every single morning I wake up and I write down three things I'm grateful for and why. OK, um, because there's two things that happen in our brain that we have um, just to give it an education piece on this as well. Um, we have what's called a negativity bias right in our in our minds, which means that we are hardwired to think of the negative first three times quicker and hold it on for three times longer. OK, so that we all have that hardwiring. Right. We all think of the negative first and we do that because our brains are designed to protect us. So if we can hear about the negative, hold on to the negative, think about the negative we can protect ourselves from it in the future so the best way to describe what negativity bias is pay you 100 compliments but the second i pay you maybe feedback that's not as favorable which do you remember right? yeah i know it's so true it's so true you're going to remember the negative you do that as a default because we are trying to protect ourselves i'm not going to put myself in a position like that anymore right so it's that hardwiring and that protective mechanism so when I talk about being in default, that's our default. But when we're not aware of it, we think that there's something wrong with us. Why do I always think negatively? Why do I always go there? Why do I always think like this? So we think that there's fundamentally something wrong with us. I know I did. I thought it was broken. But actually, when I realized we have a negativity bias, I was like, oh, that's what that is. Right. The next thing we have, um, and also as an addition, is confirmation bias. OK, which means that our mind is constantly looking for evidence to support what we tell it and what we're thinking. So in my case, I was using my mind to my disadvantage. So the words I were using were I'm not good enough. I have no value. I'm worthless. And I found endless pieces of evidence to support that because my mind, because of confirmation bias, was looking for evidence to support it. So waking up every morning is one of my first steps what am I grateful for and why? Because the why piece provides the evidence. I'm grateful for because of this. Okay. The next thing and the next journal prompt that I write down is what are three feelings I'd like to feel today and three small actions I can take to bring those feelings into my life? Most powerful thing at play is what we have. And I'm trying not to overwhelm with information here, but they're a very fundamental piece of information that I want to give out as much as possible. Um, we have what's called a feedback loop in our mind, right? Which means our mind tries to control three things and tries to have alignment between three things, our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions, okay? So say we wake up in the morning 
and we feel fantastic. We are naturally aligned to thinking in a positive way about ourselves and acting and aligning actions in a positive way to ourselves. So we'll exercise, we'll eat right, we'll connect with friends, we'll do all the things that make us feel good. That's because we woke up feeling good. Emotion, right? The second thing is if we wake up and we don't feel good, our thoughts are like, oh, why do you always feel like this? What's wrong with you? Or da 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 you're never like this. And we start the self-judgment. That's because our thoughts have aligned now with the emotion piece, okay? The second thing is that we won't maybe be motivated or feel motivated to go after what we want in terms of our health. So we won't exercise, we might get takeaway, we might do all those things that aren't in alignment with actually how we want to feel. With the feedback loop, what actually happens is the stronger element, so whether it's the thoughts, the emotions or the actions, your brain will naturally try to align the other two. So in both those examples that I give you, the emotion was the strongest element, woke up feeling a certain way and therefore thoughts and actions followed. So I have that journal prompt every morning, three things I'm grateful for and why, but the next question is the most important, three feelings I'd like to feel and an action I can take to bring that feeling into my life. Now I'm designing my life because I used to wake up and go, oh my God, why do I always have to feel like this? What's wrong with me? Now I wake up and go, it's okay that I feel a bit shit or unmotivated today, but how do I want to feel, right? And what are the small things that I can do today to bring those feelings into my life, right? And when you show up for those and when you follow through on those small actions, and I'm talking 1% actions, you develop what's called self-trust. We all want more confidence in life, right? We all want to feel more confident, be more confident and just carry ourselves better. But in order to get self-confidence, we need to have self-trust. And the quickest way to build self-trust is to show up for the promises that you make to yourself. I know. So, sorry, go on. No, go on. Honestly, I could literally <laughs> listen to you for the day. There's so much going on there. And I, I'm so interested in, in it all as well. I just love to hear about these things because I'm in you. Like gratitude, I've recently recognized the importance of that. Like it's just everything. And like you said, we're seeing the world through our own lens. So sometimes it can be very easy to be ignorant to everything else and how everyone else is seeing the world. And I think once you once you can kind of shift that perspective to just literally give some consideration to other people, I think it's massive in you recognizing then how you live your life and how blessed you are. Like the simple thing of like, this is so simple now, but last night I was watching the afterlife. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's I'm obs- I'm literally obsessed with it. I think it's one of the best productions ever. I think it's brilliant. But in the final episode, now I'm not going to say too much here because I don't want to give away any spoilers, but like there's like a really sick child in a hospice and I was just like, oh my God, like that is how so many children live every day. And it's like, I'm so lucky to be here, healthy, happy. Like it's it's kind of my duty in the world to live my life as best I can, help them in any way, of course. And then, but also live a life that I enjoy and that I can make the most of. And that's not to make anyone feel guilty because like you said, the self-compassion is huge as well. And I yeah. think that's what I learned too. Like take the simple example for yesterday. I literally just woke up in bad form for no reason. And I had an exercise class to go to and I was like, I'm just gonna go. I don't want to, but I'm gonna go. And like that I went and afterwards then on top of the world again and had a great day. And it's just kind of having those steps in place to force you to get up out of bed not necessarily force that sounds very aggressive but <laughs> force you up out of bed and to just kind of take on the day and your mood will automatically shift then in alignment with your actions it's huge like we think we have 
like when we don't understand our emotions because we're not fucking taught this stuff in school you know and it's 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 still something that really gets on my nerves we're still not taught it so we don't have an understanding of our emotions we take all our emotions on as fact right when we feel positive emotions and when i'm coaching people i don't use positive or negative all emotions are messages okay they're signals from our brain whether our needs have been met or not met so when we feel and i'll use the negative connotation now just for um explanation when we feel negative emotions, we think that it's something inherently wrong with us. Why do I always have to feel like this? And when we think like that, it's because we're believing our emotions as fact and we're trying to push them away. So when we do that, emotions are signals. So if we ignore that signal, that signal is going to come up and keep shouting and keep getting louder. So we're going to feel more of that emotion. The quickest way to not feel an emotion, to stop thinking about it. So the more that we try to push that emotion down, the more it will start to come up to be heard. So in terms of our emotions, if we take them as, okay, how do I feel? It's okay that I feel, have the acceptance piece first. It's okay that I feel not in the best form today. I don't feel particularly motivated to go to the gym. Okay, but how do I want to feel, right? So we're now asking ourselves questions, but that's okay. How do you want to feel? Well, I want to feel um confident or i want to feel calmer or i want to feel uh whatever it is what will make you feel confident exercising for me makes me feel confident right doing my gratitude piece every day makes me feel confident so now i show up for that and the more you do that you're not only dealing and acknowledging with your emotions and giving yourself what you need you're also starting to look at oh i'm building self-trust here and as a byproduct of self-trust self-confidence naturally comes right uh a quick hack on gratitude is something that came into my mind there as you were speaking. Um, I used to always say, I have to do this. So if you've been following my stuff, you might have seen me post something about, I have to do this. I have to go meet my friend for lunch. I have to go to work. I have to uh, meet some clients. I have to do this and da, 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 da. Not very motivating, right? The quickest way to bring more gratitude into your life is to say, to change your I have to to I get to. So I get to meet my friend. I get to go to work. I get to do this. And even as I say it, I actually feel that natural shift in my body where I'm like, oh, fuck it. Yeah, I do get to do this. So like it, whether it's going out training for a run or whether it's going to the gym or whatever it is, I get to do this. I get to eat healthy. Yeah, I do actually. Fuck it. And you have that natural gratitude and appreciation for it and more of a drive to continue to do that. So small little shifts that we can make in our language that have a huge, huge impact on us in our everyday. You're so right. It's just, I think the first thing, like step one is just initially, and I think it was huge for me and you touched on it as well, was just recognizing that you are not your thoughts. I think it was, I don't know if you've read Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, but he says that in the book. And I remember reading it and being like, oh my God, it just transformed everything I'd ever thought about myself anything I'd ever thought about anyone else it was just literally you are not your thoughts and it's huge and then like you said it's putting those actions in place afterwards then to kind of gain control over those thoughts and know that you can change them and you have control over what you think about yourself and how you kind of project yourself in the world and everything yeah it's, it's everything like like our brain is our mind is really powerful and what it does is it, it has a couple of jobs right it's trying to keep us safe at its fundamental level um but it's also trying to conserve energy so our brain takes in vast amount of information all of the time every single day so we don't have the energy and the capacity to take in all of that information so what it does is create shortcuts so i used to constantly say to myself i'm an anxious person 
I'm an anxious person, I feel anxiety, I'm an anxious person, right? So what my brain does then is it wants to create a shortcut. Kira is saying she's an anxious person. What do anxious people do? Okay, because our brain is naturally trying to align our thoughts and our actions together. What do anxious people do? Anxious people overthink, people worry, anxious people maybe might withdraw a bit more, anxious people do all these things. So I'm naturally going to be driven to do those things, right? Because our brain is creating that shortcut and creating meaning for our lives. And then therefore we're naturally been driven into, okay, this is this is who I am. Because we're taking that thought as fact. Now, how to change that? It's like, I'm a confident person. And we do that on repeat. So the things we say to ourselves on repeat become really important information for our brain. Therefore it becomes a shortcut. The, the scientific fact of that is it's called a neural pathway. So the more we say something, the more we activate a neural pathway and the more we do it, the stronger it becomes. So we tend to do it for the negative. I'm an anxious person. I'm not motivated. I'm not this and I'm not that. So our brain is naturally aligning us to the actions that support all those things. But we want to start taking control back of that. So now we go, okay, I am a confident person. I am a motivated person. This is why affirmations are so important because they, with repetition, start to become important information to the brain. Therefore, we create that shortcut. So now it's like, okay, what do confident people do? Confident people, they, I don't know, put themselves out there for stuff. They show up for themselves. They speak to themselves with kindness. Whatever your belief about confident people is, that's what you would be naturally designed to do and aligned to do. So the words we say to ourselves are so, so important because they actually become very quickly our reality. Because the reason being for it is, and I know I'm given a lot of information. <laughs> I, I like to see our mind as a three-step process and it might not be the right way of doing it, but it really helps me take the bullshit out of, of the sciencey bit and bring it into how can I use this to my advantage? So we know by default we have the negativity bias. That's our hardwiring. Okay, grant. But if we let that go unchecked, we're going to have negative thoughts. We're going to start speaking down to ourselves. We're going to speak poorly to ourselves. The more we do that, we're activating confirmation bias to go find more evidence to support those thoughts. I'm going to see all the evidence why I'm not confident, why I'm anxious, why I'm not good enough, why I have no worth, whatever it is for you that you're saying. And then the most powerful thing happens. The more evidence that we find, the more we start to believe it. And when we start to believe it, we activate what's called the reticular activating system, also known as the RAS. And the job of the RAS is to conserve energy. So what it does is it takes what we believe to be true, whether it's about ourselves or about somebody else, we take what it believes to be true and it shuts down any information that contradicts that belief. So in my case, my true belief about myself was I'm not good enough. Okay, that my reticular activating system, the most powerful part, I believe, of the brain decided, OK, I'm going to shut down any information that contradicts that. I will never see my achievements. I will never see my successes. I will never see why I have tremendous worth because my brain is not letting me because it's working to, uh, I suppose, to keep the belief of I'm not good enough because we repeated that time and time again. So repetition is probably the most powerful tools that we use. It's like, how can I reframe this so I can become aware that I'm feeding confirmation bias to go find evidence to support what I want to believe about myself? 
And slowly over time, the more evidence we find for the positive, it starts to become our belief. And that's where we can start to use the power of our brain, the power of our mind for our benefit. Okay, not for our disadvantage, to actually harness its potential for us and our self-belief. And confidence really happens like when we're like, oh, I don't see all the things that I used to see about myself. I don't see it. And it's the same way if we believe Mary across the road is an absolute girl bag, right? If that's our true belief about her, then we will never see all the ways Mary is really kind and really nice. And she takes in our post and she minds our parcels and she drops it over to us and she's really kind. But if our true belief is that she's a bit of a girl bag, we, we genuinely won't see all those good things because our reticular activating system is working to just hold on to that belief. So it's really powerful. Yeah, no, you're so right. And like there was literally so much there I literally could talk to you for the day about everything there that you mentioned but you just to kind of bring it back a bit to where you mentioned about it was actually a question I had intended asking you because I think it's very important to make the distinction between like having anxiety and being anxious like they're two very different things but people can become very confused by it and automatically associate their feeling of anxiety with being like have their feelings of anxiousness with having anxiety which is not the case of course so like what kind of is your take on that and kind of like I suppose what are your opinions on the whole topic of anxiety and distinguishing between the two um what I like to always do is take out the bullshit right so what one of the tools that we use in coaching is a tool called reframing okay and what I always do with my clients in terms of uh reframing Um, straight away is reframing their relationship with themselves first and foremost right but it's also reframing their relationship with their emotions so we have anxiety disorders um but we also have anxiety feelings okay so i feel anxious right and we typically will put ourselves into the disorder category because we feel like we are anxious all of the time okay but like i said about the emotions earlier if we start to look at our emotions as guiding lights and signals to whether our needs have been met or not, we now start to look at it go, okay, how can I take anxiety and ask myself, what do I need? So if I reframe my relationship with it, then I can actually start to explore it and go, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Did something happen previously just now to make me feel anxious? Am I about to do something scary or am I about to take a test or am I about to do this? Is that why that feeling is there? explore why it's there and then to go okay what do i need right so when we start to look at all of our emotions when you come coaching with me like there's no good or bad emotions anymore right it's how can i explore this we look at our positive emotions as i suppose signals that that we should guide our light more to right i feel happy here do more of that i feel like i'm thriving here do more of that So we're listening to our emotions because that's when we feel positive about things, that's where our needs have been met. And then when we feel negative emotions, we believe that they're negative, therefore we try to push them down. So we don't let them be heard. So anxiety is what we would deem, I believed in my case, it was a negative emotion, right? I didn't want to feel it. I didn't want to feel it because I thought there was something wrong with me because I believed that anxiety was a negative negative thing, okay? I believed I had a disorder, right? I didn't have an anxiety disorder. I had and felt and experienced anxiety. It's two very different things. So when we experience anxiety, 
we want to push it away because we have a negative relationship with it. Okay. So we reframe our relationship. We see anxiety now as our best friend. When I introduce this to people, they're like, you can feck right off. <laughs> right? But if we look at it and, and explore it and start to see, okay, how can I use anxiety to my advantage? It's telling me something. All our emotions are telling us something. If I listen and sit with anxiety and hear it, rather than push it away, it's telling me something. Am I in a situation that I don't want to be in? I'm feeling anxious about that constantly. Am I going outside of my comfort zone? And that's a good thing. That's anxiety telling you, keep going, you can do it. So how we label things is really important as well. So in terms of anxiety, we can have a disorder, yes, but we can also have feelings of anxiety. So anxiety isn't who you are, it's what you feel. And there's two very different, like I suppose, distinctions. It's not who you are as a person, it's something you experience. So we take away the label of it defining who we are and just saying, actually, it's something that I feel. And it's something that it's, I can feel. I can now go, okay, I can listen to this and see what it's trying to tell me. And the more I do that, the more I heal it. The more we listen to our emotions, i.e. anxiety, the more or the less they need to shout at us to be heard. So the more we can learn to sit with our emotions and give ourselves what we need based on that emotion, the less that emotion has to come and fight for, for, for us to listen to it. So if you want to feel anxiety less, start to listen to it. What's it telling you? And explore it in a safe, slow way with a coach, with a friend, with anybody that you, uh, that you trust. And slowly you'll realize, actually anxiety was telling me a lot. When I look at anxiety, it was telling me a lot. Okay, so it was a, a big source of my information. When I feel anxiety now, I ask myself, Okay, am I anxious because I'm going to do something fun and out of my comfort zone and scary? Yeah, maybe. Let's go for it anyway. That's okay. It's okay that I feel anxious, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Or am I feeling anxiety because I'm worried or scared about something? And if so, what do I need? Yeah, no, you're so right in everything you're saying. I, I actually had this question for you because I only came across it this morning when I was reading this book and I feel like you'll be of the same opinion as me, but I could be wrong. And it was all about emotions. And I'm reading this book I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's anyways, it's about the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu and a conversation they had. I don't know if you've read it, but mm. it's all about joy anyway. And it's like one of the one of their final conversations they had and they kind of discussed the joys of life and what it is we're all in search for and the meaning of life and everything. But emotions came up and one was of the opinion, I think it was Desmond Tutu, that you you can't be as in control of your emotions as you believe but then the Dalai Lama was of the complete opposite opinion and he was like no you can control all your emotions and I think I'm definitely on that idea of you can control a lot of your emotions 100% like I think like you said it's about exploring those topics and kind of going with them and understanding them through that then that we can have control like would you be of the same thoughts or what do you think I I sit with you and the Dalai Lama there Um, I think we think so we have this 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 I suppose society has labeled emotions good or bad positive or negative and when we feel positive emotions we tend not to to think too much into them yay it's great I'm feeling joy or yes I'm feeling happy amazing but when we feel those negative emotions we deem them as negative and therefore we start to tell ourselves I know I did right and i'm not sure if it's for your same for your listeners or whoever that's listened to this that when we feel those negative emotions we want to push them away therefore they come back up 
And therefore we're like, oh, why do I keep feeling this emotion? What is wrong with me? Right? And when we ask that question, what is wrong with me? We're activating confirmation bias to go find evidence to support it. So because of those negative emotions, because we're not exploring them, we're starting to now go, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling like this? And it throws up loads of inf- loads of evidence to support that. Now I ask myself, okay, I'm feeling this. The first thing I do is accept it. I It's perfectly okay that I feel sad right now. It's perfectly okay that I feel lonely. It's perfectly okay that I feel anxious. What do I need? Okay. Um, you can Google what's called the wheel of emotions and you'll find um, this big wheel of loads of different emotions. And what you do is you start in the middle. You pick the, the core emotions, whether it's happy, sad, joy, fear. Um, I can't remember the other ones, but you pick one or two of them that you resonate most with. And then you go to the middle circle. You pick two more. So based on if you pick sad, you might get two more emotions. So you just you start to explore and discover and go, how do I really feel? Right. And for instance, sad for me, when I look at sad and I explore it nine times out of 10, I personally come to I feel isolated. Right. So I get to really pinpoint how I actually feel. So I've accepted it. I've named it. And now I'm like, this is how I exactly feel. Okay. now what do I want to do about it? So to gain back more control of it, I go, if I feel isolated, what do I need? I need connection. I need to feel like I belong, right? There are two core human needs to connect and to feel like we belong. Okay, how do I show up for that need? I'll go call a friend, right? Yeah. So now I have accepted my emotions. I've controlled my emotions and I've given something to myself that I needed based on what I felt. That emotion isn't going to come up as often. Yeah, totally. And it's like you said, the ability of your mind to follow that pathways like it'll become so natural over time like that you'll just instantly recognize straight away how you're feeling and know within you okay this is what I need to do like you don't even need to question it anymore it just becomes like natural activity like I used to always when I had those quote-unquote negative emotions and I hate it makes me feel very wrong to say it but it's it's easier in when I'm trying to explain things Um, but when I have when I had those negative emotions my go-to used to be what the fuck is wrong with you wrong as you why are you always feeling like this i would go into self-judgment self-criticism i put myself down i would speak negatively to myself and then i'd find all the evidence to support what was wrong with me um whereas now my go-to because i've wired it that way through repetition is what happened and what you need there are two yeah, questions yeah. now so not not what's wrong with you now it's compassion it's giving back to myself it's supporting myself what happened and what do you need and when i show up for that need the more I do that, the more I'm showing up for myself. And that's a very, very powerful place to be because you build self-trust, unshakable self-trust. And that's something that I work with, with all my clients is building that self-trust. Because if a friend came to you and said, I feel sad, and you go, okay, what, what happened? <laughs> what do you need? Right? There are two questions that you ask your best friend. And then they go, okay, I need connection and I need uh, exercise. And you're like, grand, I'll be there. Okay. And if you show up for them, that friend knows that they can trust you to be there for them, right? And that's a very powerful friendship to have. If you don't show up for them, they go, oh, I can't trust Megan, right? The same is for ourselves, okay? If we don't show up for what we need or if we don't show up for ourselves, we lose trust in ourselves and we lose confidence as a byproduct of that. So the quickest way to build that back up is to go, okay, what do I need and to show up for it? Definitely. And everything you said there was so spot on about 
like the idea of individualizing your thoughts and your emotions and thinking what's wrong with me but mm-hmm. I would have found as well like at a point in my life where I might have been kind of not feeling so good a bit anxious and stuff and like you said the minute you started talking to other people about it you realized how common it was amongst everyone and you're just kind of guaranteed that any thought you've ever had someone else has had as well like (laughs) as humans we're all very similar and I think it was one kind of shocking revelation for me is when I started talking about those things was how many people came to me and were like oh my god yeah I felt the same and I was like what I was like I'm not the only one and it's just brilliant to know you're kind of not alone in it as well and that there's others out there who kind of have literally experienced more or less the same thing in one shape form or another um and you've mentioned a bit there about like kind of exercise and what it is I suppose I wanted to ask what it is exercise does for you and how it impacts you and your mind because I'd be similar in that I I love exercise and there's definitely certain exercises that would make me feel better than others like I'm someone who likes to be pushed so I really need kind of a challenge a lot of the time Mm -hmm. to feel like really good within myself so for you what does exercise do and how does it improve your life mind Um, everything yeah so I would look at exercise as one of our basics right so I when couples clients clients come to me still in wedding photography mode my couples (laughs) um, when clients come to me one of the very most fundamental things I do is get the basics right with them. So are you exercising enough? Are you sleeping enough? What's your nutrition like? And what's your human connection? Are you connecting with others enough, right? So there are four like basic things that we start to get right. And exercise being kind of most pivotal one of those, because for me, I will always look at it. And this is my personal standpoint in exercise as the promises that I make to myself. They're my four basics, right? And I make sure every day that I kind of show up for them and exercise being one of them. Um, I think at the moment, society has showed us that we need to exercise to look a certain way. Um, We need to exercise to lose weight or to look like this or look like that. And that's where we start to go, well, if I don't look like that, then I need to either exercise too much or what's the fucking point? Okay. I will always, I suppose, work with clients and then go, okay, rather than looking like something, how do you want to feel? So every morning like when I write down how I want to feel exercise is kind of the core component of that so I want to feel confident okay I know for a fact every time I go out for a walk or a run or a hike or a swim I feel absolutely fantastic when it's done so that's my small promise to myself every day to get the exercise right right just whether it's 10 minutes of a walk whether it's 20 minutes or 10 minutes swim or whatever it is I will pick one thing that I will do that day and I will exercise Because for me, I'm always looking at the basis of building that self-trust. Building up that self-trust builds up self-worth, builds up self-esteem, builds up self-confidence. So it has this profound ripple effect on everything. So exercise for me is that that fundamental promise of getting the basics right for myself. Um, From a mind health perspective, we get loads of dopamine and serotonin flooded into our body. So it's really good at calming down our nervous system. So exercise, when we do it to feel good, has a much different benefit. We take away all the shit from it. We take away all the uh, judgments of, I don't look like this yet. What's the point? Why should I not do this? We take away all of that criticism to it. And we go, it makes me feel good. Therefore, when I show up for for how I feel good, I have such many more benefits to to get on the other end of it. So for me, it's about building self-trust and helping me feel good. 
Definitely. And even that idea of just running or walking or going for a hike, I found I, I've always enjoyed those things personally, but I was a massive like person who liked to go to the gym as well. But I definitely find there's a big difference between the gym and being like outside and exercising that whole idea of just being in nature. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I read a few books on it and it's just the idea that like people are supposed to be in nature. Like that's naturally where we develop from. And essentially that's where we'll often be our happiest is when we're outdoors and we're in fresh air and the sun is out and it can just bring like very very positive energy so yeah I'd be the same as you in that regard that I just love being outdoors and kind of exploring but I had seen on your Instagram all right as well that you had done a thousand kilometer was it a run or a walk or yeah irrespective (laughs) it doesn't even matter like it's just madness so you like I was so interested to ask you about that because I had done I had done my first half marathon last year and that was literally 21k now it was at the height of covid so I was literally doing it by myself very little training with anyone else and I was just doing it alone essentially and I found it so difficult like it's definitely a very hard thing that I've done in my life because your mind has a lot to do with it and me and my friend were recently speaking about this because she kind of does a bit of running as well and she's like how do you keep going like do you not find your mind just kind of takes over and it really does like it's a mental game so I'd love for you to just kind of speak about your experience in doing that why you did it and what it did for you and what you learned from it I suppose Um, so funnily enough I about two years ago uh two or three years now anyway uh, I will run uh, the 10k in Limerick for the Great Limerick Run. Oh yeah, it's actually on this weekend. It isn't is, it? Yeah. yeah, it's on this weekend. Yeah. Um, and we sat down um, in Mickey Martin's in Limerick, and the two of us were chuffed with our medals and uh, going. We we ran 10k, and we saw all the people with their marathon or half marathon medals. And I remember passing a comment going, "Why would you do that to yourself?" Right. Um, I literally have said the same thing to myself I'm the exact same as you it's so funny you say that I remember doing 5k and thinking god I would never ever run any more than that like why would you do it to yourself (laughs) um the reason I probably said that it sounded like a joke at the time um but it was a I could never do that yeah definitely so behind that kind of why would people do that it's kind of like a judgment on on why they would but it's also a reflection of it's because I believe I couldn't right so about two weeks later or three weeks later, I was continuing running and we have a, we call it the round here in Killaloo. It's about four or five K. And um, I was running the round and I was maybe going up this one hill. And for whatever reason, the wild Atlantic wave popped into my head. But at the time I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted a mindset challenge. I wanted to take my mindset to a whole new level. And the wild Atlantic wave came into my head. I stopped. I Googled the distance. I went, oh, okay. Came back home to my wife and I said, so I'm going to do a thing. And she's like, okay. I said, I'm going to run the World Atlantic Way. And she went, that's not a thing. That's a really big fucking thing. What the hell? <laughs> so that was in, oh, I think this time 2019. And put in six months of training. Now, Megan, when I say I trained, um, I trained my mind first. Okay. Yeah. So I was big into visualization. I was big into my self-talk, big into um, all of that. And then I would do two to three K every day small little things right so two to three k took me 15 to 20 minutes and i would do that and every time i was on that run at that training run uh, i would visualize myself finishing okay so the one of the very first things i did was committed to doing it picked out my map and visualized different parts so every time i was running i'd be like okay i'm running from letterkenny to wherever now and now i'm running from lynch to spanish point or whatever so I would visualize myself doing parts of the run. So when I actually got to a point where I was doing it, 
my mind was so focused. People said to me, um, you're only running 2K a day. Are you sure you'll be able for this? Yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And that was part of my self-talk too. That was part of telling myself, you can do it. And the very first day I started the run, I'll never forget it as long as I live. There were like 30 or 40 kilometer winds <laughs> coming into my face, hailstones, wind, rain. Um, and it was a 35 kilometer uh, run the very first day. So it, it, it averaged between like, um, I think the smallest day was a 17K and then the the biggest day was like 41 or something like that. Oh my God. So how many days did it take in total? Uh, 40 days. I was like, Jesus in the desert. <laughs> oh my god that is that was, that was a couple of rest days as well i would take a rest day every five to six days oh but um, you'd have to like it's yeah. in your joints your body yeah. would be exhausted um and then there was a couple of storms thrown in there as well um but what you mentioned about the mind the mind will fail first so i truly believe that the body will achieve what the mind believes and if you fundamentally believe that you can do it because you keep telling yourself that you will and you have that just that fucking grit and tenacity like no matter what anybody says to you because i met a lot of people going she's a lot like are you sure you're able for it are you sure and every single answer whether i felt unsure at the time was i'll be fine right um so it was a it was definitely a mindset challenge for me rather than a physical challenge um one of the things the first five days were absolute torture right because I actually only completed my first half marathon. I still have yet to do a full marathon, by the way, an official one. Well, <laughs> I only completed my first half marathon three weeks before I left to do that big run. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I did the half marathon and I was like, I have I was not like traumatized, a very dramatic word, yeah. but I was just, I was like, oh, my God. But I remember completing it and just feeling on top of the world for having done it like I think people get far too focused on like times and what you can do it in and it's just kind of like the whole experience of going through like nature and just kind of being out in the open and running it was it was like it was amazing so you obviously felt the same but go on I interrupted you anyway so sorry like the first five days for me it was the complete absolute mindset challenge because my body was in absolute bits and I remember one of my friends um Lorraine she came up to run a couple of uh, kilometers with me actually she, oh. ran today. she ran like 50k with me <laughs> i say a couple of kilometers um but on the the day she came up she was like kira your john rambo legs will kick in on day five we had done a lot of cycles and stuff together and she yeah. said i always found on day five your john rambo legs will kick in and sure enough megan I woke up day five and whether it was because i kept telling myself day five day five day five and i was creating that energy inside myself or it genuinely is a thing that it does happen it was like my body went oh, fine okay this is what we're doing and from day five onwards i got into a flow i got into just consistently getting up running and then just relaxing and it was probably the best experience i've had in my life um like you said i was in with nature testing my limits uh exceeding my limits um and i never did it for the time i did it for the feeling so I felt confident. I felt like I had an unstoppable mindset. I felt this. And still to this day, if you ask me to do a timed 10K, I'm like, nah, couldn't be arsed. Yeah. If you yeah. ask me to go and run 20K with you, just wild and free, 100% I'm there with you. Um, we put so much pressure on ourselves. We can often, that pressure can often limit us. Because one thing to know about the mind is when it feels anything that feels uncomfortable, scary, uh, challenging, uh, unfamiliar or uncertain, we will automatically meet resistance from the mind because it sees it as a threat. 
So when we have this time of, shit, will I be able to complete it in that time? We're almost going, oh, what's the point? So we're yeah. naturally drawn to withdrawing. Whereas if we run to how we feel, there's no time constraints and we can actually achieve a lot more. And I actually had it with a client. Um, she said, I can never run 5K within 30 minutes and it's really fucking annoying me and I want to get it. And I said, okay, what do you do? She goes, well, I take my Apple Watch with me and I take my phone with me and I time it all and I can never do it. Like, grand. I want to challenge you for a week, one week to just go without your phone and without your watch, without clocking your distance, without doing this or have your watch on, but turn it over. Don't look at anything. Yeah, just yeah. Run to how you feel. And about three days later, she rang me and she said, I'm after doing 25 minutes for a 5K. How the fuck? I said, because you were always so focused on the time. Yeah, it is. It, because you start off so quickly, then so focused on this time and you just yeah. wreck yourself before you yeah. even get the chance to make it halfway. Definitely. Like it was definitely one of my biggest learning lessons when I was somewhat training for this half marathon and that like just not to be so focused on the time and just be more kind of enjoying the moments and kind of going at your pace and kind of being compassionate with your body and just saying if you're tired walk a bit like there's nothing wrong with walking some of the distance like there's no issues with that and many a time when I was training I did have to like I just had to take a break. And you'd act, those would be the times you'd surprise yourself then once you give your body a chance to recover, you'd actually nearly do it in better time. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you were just more compassionate within yourself. It's it's that pressure of telling yourself, I can't. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It just like it overwhelms or it I overtakes. Think, I think we see being hard on ourselves or judging ourselves or putting ourselves down as um, we might feel motivated <laughs> as a result. But actually, it has quite the opposite effect. Uh, the more compassionate we are and the more supportive we are to ourselves in terms of our self-talk and our self-belief and really just sparring ourselves on and, and being compassionate. If we need to take a break, break. On that thousand kilometers, I didn't run it all. And I have no problem in saying that I didn't run every single bit of it, but I finished it, right? Yeah. So all I was focused on was finishing it. Whether that took me 60 days or 30 days or six days, I was going to finish it. Time didn't matter. All I wanted to do was complete something. And that to me was my goal. And whether I walked it or ran it, to me, it was no different. Yeah, definitely. Because even I felt that was actually one positive about when I did mine was that I kind of enjoyed the idea of being by myself. So I didn't feel that pressure. I remember doing like a race a few weeks ago. It's the first race I've ever done, the only one I've ever done to date. And it was literally 5K. But I remember because I had kind of gone through the process of doing the run by myself, I no longer cared about other people. Whereas if I'd done that before and people were passing me out, I'd have been like, oh my God, I need to speed up. I need to speed up. Whereas here I was of the mindset, like, find the last person behind that line. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so I suppose, would you say that that's your biggest achievement to date is the thousand kilometers? Um, no, that's a very, very good question. Um, I feel I like that's fairly big. Like. <laughs> it is. Um, I would say that run was a byproduct of my greatest achievement to date. And that okay. was me becoming my own best friend um, because I would not have been able to achieve that run um, had I not um, been my own best friend. Like yeah. you can't run 40k day in, day out and yeah. be your own best friend. Uh, you can't do it if you speak to yourself in a negative way. So I I saw that run as that was kind of me going full circle in terms of I got to a point after really always being my worst enemy and putting myself down and being really hard on myself and not being my best friend to look what you look what you can achieve when you become your own best friend when you put yourself first and i always will look back on that run and go oh if i can do that i can do anything but i can only do it 
when I am kind to myself, I show up for myself, I have self-trust in myself, I have self-belief in myself. So the little things that we do, they are my greatest achievements. They, like the little things that I've done since my, my last suicide attempt, they're all my greatest achievements because they led me to becoming my own best friend. And that sounds very cheesy, but that will always be my greatest achievement to get to being completely suicidal and, and wanting to die to actually really fucking like living life and running the wild Atlantic way and giving TED talks and doing all these things. They're all byproducts of me showing up for myself in little ways every day. And that's my greatest achievement. Jeez, yeah, that, geez, that was brilliant. <laughs> I don't think I can top that <laughs> in terms of just, I think we should just leave it there. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> so literally, like I've kept you for so long, this conversation has just been brilliant. It has been so easy, so easy to chat with you. But I always like to end the podcast, I've said this time and time again, on just a positive note and something mm-hmm. for someone I'm sure they'll take plenty of stuff from this conversation but just kind of a nice positive affirmation I'm like you I just believe in the little messages you tell yourself every day so what is one quote you choose to live by I know some people are literally like oh my god this is too hard I don't know but just kind of instantaneously what comes to mind or what do you think uh there's two that come to mind uh one I mentioned previously and this was we don't see the world as it is we see the world as we are so I always use that as my guiding light to go okay the more I put into myself and the more I pour into myself, the more I will be able to to reap the rewards in my external world. So the more I change myself for the better, like if I'm not feeling confident, the more I work on my confidence and the more I work on my self-belief, different things happen. You run a thousand kilometers, you give a TED talk, you do all these things as a byproduct of that. So that's always something that sticks with me. And I think uh, the other one was uh, that comes to mind is whether it be believe you can or you can't, you're right. So like your belief about yourself is is always correct because of that reticular activating system. So we can always design what we want to believe. You don't have to always choose the disempowering beliefs. It's time for you to go, okay, that's default. That's what I've always said. What do I want to design for my life? So I want to start believing that I can. What are the mindset and what is the belief that that will get me there? 